0: Gaming NBS, episode 215, coming to you Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. If you've been here before, good to have everybody on board. Sean, how the hell are you, man?
0: Well, I am better. Uh, for those of you that are wondering where episode 215 has been, we skipped a week. Um, so, the reason being, for those that are were concerned, uh, my mother in law passed away uh, the Saturday before we were to record episode 215. So, Brett and I postponed that. Um, I've had a rough month of October to November.
1: Um tuck um, so, your your dog passed away, your mother-in-law has has passed, you've so had my, a sick yeah. cat. Yes. Good lord, man.
0: Yeah, so I mean just yeah. Just when you so so my dog, we had to put our dog down. We adopted a dog, I had to forfeit the dog. So that was tough. Then uh my mother-in-law passed away on Saturday. Um and then even I think, okay. So then I think that Saturday I worked a couple days and her funeral is this past Thursday. Um, and well, it'll be about a, about a week from when this drops. Okay. This past, and I went to work, I come home and then my cat is unable to urinate in the house, which is a big deal for male cats. It's a big deal for any cat, but then it's a big
1: deal for people, man. If you can't go, you can't go. That's not good.
0: Now you have to now like, okay, so we're trying to plan for a funeral and then my cat, I have to take to the vet an emergency Mm. room. So I want to thank everybody for, for, you know, like Ron CW Richard and a few others that have said, Hey, sorry to hear about how things have been going. Um, you know who you are. I didn't want to put it out on the internet because my wife is, is relatively, she's more private than I am. And so she didn't want me to put it out on Facebook. She didn't want me to put it out on. And frankly, if she found out I was putting this out now, um, she'd probably be, I don't don't think she would be irate, but she would just be, um, not wanting to do that. So, um, anyways, it's, it's been a rough, definitely a rough time for my wife. Um, and so, Thank you, anybody, everybody that's shared their sentiments. Um, thanks, Mark Mark Tosaka, um, for the generous um, sentiments as well. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. We'll get through this. It's fine. Life throws you curveballs. I'm not the only one to have gone through, you know, this type of hardship. I know a lot of you have, and you've gone through it. Um, it's not always easy. But you move on and you find other things in life that um, drive you to 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 do good things and, and keep you going, right? Some of it's gaming, right? Like we're talking about it every week and uh, helps us get off, get out of the seriousness and the adulting that the, the, the shitty things we got to put up with every day. And sometimes we can go into gaming and escape a little bit, which is always nice thing to do so um, you know yes, so that's it. I wanted to get that out there because I it's kind of unique because um, putting it out on social media, with you know, my wife and, and saying, Okay, I'm not gonna put it out there. I understand that. But there's still some people, obviously, that are like, Wow, they put out an episode every week. It's something hopeful I mean, hopefully I mean, you know, people, were concerned. Happen, people right? were concerned. People were
1: concerned. I I did my best to try to get the word out. We tried to say something of the patrons and people contacted me said, Hey Brett, you know, I got texts from people who have my cell phone or like, Hey, is everything okay? Did something happen to Sean? And part of this goes back to your motorcycle accident. People are like, Holy shit, did something right. was there a you know did something horrible happen? Cause unfortunately we've, um, as partners on this, we've had horrible things happen too. So to eat to our, to ourselves. So, but I tell you what, man, in the, um, kind of interest of the silver lining game, whole con is next week and, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think for, for me, I know I'm looking forward to it as a big kind of just a break from the whole, you know, regular rigmarole and, uh, brother, I think you need it. I think you need to get away, hang out with some gamers and, uh, just relax. Yeah. I think it, yeah. I think it'll be, it will do you a mountain of good, my friend.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, this week, I work Monday, Tuesday, and a couple uh, professional appointments on Wednesday. Even though I have the day off, and I'm like, oh, I just need, I just need to get away. Need to get away. Go into game, hang around gaming nerds, um, and then everything will be just fine for at least four or five days, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I've got the gaming nerd thing going, and then I have a uh, extended hunting time away. So after I'm done gaming with some nerds, I'll go back to the office, make sure no one's uh, done anything horrible that I can't fix, and then I will run into a cedar swamp and disappear for about a week. So it'll be great.
0: You know, the one thing I got to say, not to ramble on about real-life heavy stuff, but, you know, there are things that happen to us in life, and I hope— I hope you never have to encounter them or I hope you have never had to encounter them, but I think it's, it's easy to say, Hey, you know, life goes on or, Hey, it's, it's really not that bad, but it's not until you encounter something like this where you realize it really, a lot of other shit is really dumb and really stupid. Like the stuff that you probably go to work and have to deal with, I look at nowadays. I'm like, you know what? That I don't. I don't need to. I don't need that to weigh as heavily on me as it probably once did.
1: Well, there's a perspective lens that gets thrust in front of you at a certain point when, yeah, when you look at that those things. My my friends and um, that are nurses or in the medical field or even uh, guys like Alex who are lawyers and stuff, and they see they see some pretty serious hardcore shit and. When you do see something like that, you look at the regular thing and go, "Wow, I didn't like the sandwiches they had in the cafeteria the other day." What The fuck do I? Care? You know, it was a thing that would be a that would that a small annoyance that would that might drive you nuts. And picking on that is an extreme example of silliness. But suddenly, a lot of that stuff, um, even I mean, it, it did not happen to me. It was unfortunately your, your family that was that had the tragedy. But it's still, it's one of those pieces where, I'm like you know, even from where I sit, going, you know what. This is nothing. This is really nothing in the grand scheme of things. Let's. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I started up an Osric game with my kids. I wanted to run a, a first edition AD&D game, and um, I wanted to do it in person, and my gaming group was just flat not interested in it. And I wanted to do something in person, a campaign with some people who I knew would really appreciate it and have a lot of fun. I'm like, you know what? I got AJ and Alana here, man. They'll play. And we had a blast. Sat down, made a world one night, and started adventuring. It was It, it was. And will continue to be a lot of fun. So we're waiting to get the next session set up for next week. So it'll be a good time.
0: Now, tying this into gaming, kind of going to what Brett was saying about his OSR game with his kids, you know, you could be in a group where you're just like, you know, this just isn't fun anymore. Or or you just don't like playing with that one particular person. And, and it's not, it, it doesn't have to be on the same level, right, as that we're getting into all heavy. But at the same time, Man, life is short. You can find other people to play with and have an enjoyable time. There are a ton of of people that I've met through gaming that I play with that I had never known before, Mm -hmm. you know, and you give them a fair shake and you end up becoming really good friends or you don't and you find another group. Like it's just, it's a big enough world where you don't have to put up with stuff that really brings you down especially if it's a voluntary thing like some of us have jobs that we just have to have we've got you know responsibilities we got to earn money
1: but this is but our it, hobby this is this a, is a hobby. serious right. free time i always joke with uh my wife susan and we'll say hey should we do this that the other thing and i'm like is it worth a hundred dollars an hour she's like what do you mean this is my free time and this is just this isn't like it has nothing to do with how much money I make or anything along those lines. It's just, look, I look at everybody's free time and say, is this worth $100 an hour to you? Because your free yeah. time is the most valuable thing that you have when you're not working or not taking care of somebody else or doing When you're just going to do something for you that's all about your mental health or whatever. Is this other thing worth more than that? And sometimes for me, the way my brain works is I throw a dollar figure on it and I say 100 bucks an hour. Like, wow, I could either <sighs> waste all this time playing this game with this dude in my group who this drives me fucking bananas, or I could shift it and play with my two kids who love playing and would pretty much play anything that I want to play just to try it because everything's new to them and let's just go. So, not that <clears throat> I have somebody in my group I can't stand, but it's, right. it's that type of analogy. So, yeah. Oh, no, it's so. it's it's a it's an eye opener and no mistake. So,
0: so we will we will. Rise above and move on, and we'll, you know we'll see. You know what? Yeah, well, everything will be just fine for us. So, you know, no, no, yeah, I don't even know what to say anymore.
1: No, um, we're good, man. I think I'll tell you what we've got. We already got gamehole coming this yeah. this real quick on us. That's gonna help us out. I got more evercon planning to do. That's coming in January Evercon.org Events are flowing in there. My son is gonna run. AJ, speaking of really cool things, AJ's like, I want to run a cool game. And my wife is not as much into gaming. And she Well, says, at least he doesn't want to run <clears> a bad game. No, he says he wants to run a really cool one. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I really want like props and minis and stuff. This oh, is his idea of man. cool. Oh, so we're like, okay. And Susan's like checking Facebook or something on her phone and looks up and goes, I bet I could get a whole bunch of Lego minifigs and we could like give them yeah. away to kids who play. AJ's like, oh, I have an idea. So we're going to take all of his Lego set pieces and the different. Lord of the Rings, Monsters, and Goblins he has. He's. We went out and bought some player character minis that he can, that he's going to have character sheets for and give away. So he's going to run this at Evercon. He's all jazzed up about it. I tell you, man, that type of joy for the hobby is just, it's freaking infectious. It's really
0: Bottle really cool. that shit up and sell it. Like it's going <laughs> out of freaking style.
1: Uh, awesome. All right. So shall we move on? Let's just let's go right into Random Encounter. Let's do yeah,
0: it. Yeah, let's go into Random Encounter. <laughs> All right, we got a couple audios uh, this week. Uh, That's usually first... a
1: sign that somebody felt strongly enough that they agreed That's that right. they want to verbalize it, or we've done bad. Let's that... let's see which it is.
0: All right, so this week, a stranger not to this uh, show is DM Kojo coming back to us.
2: Hey guys, it's Kojo. Just uh, finished listening to episode two fourteen. Loved it as usual. A uh, couple things. First off, uh won't be at Game Hall. I'll be at UConn, which is in Ypsilanti, Michigan, the same weekend, um, playing the Dungeon Crawl classics with Brendan LaSalle. And uh then I had a couple house rules that uh came up as a result of uh, some of the things you talked about in the show. First off, we always had problems getting people to play the Cleric. Uh, as well and the house rule that i came up back in the day with my players and i still use when i play first or second edition is that clerics can cast cure light wounds as a power uh, once per day for each level of the cleric that's in addition to whatever spell slots they use towards cure spells but this was a an additional power so that seemed to Get people to be more willing to play the cleric because then they could get a variety of spells. And then, uh, regarding level draining, um after several fights over lost levels in, uh, these circumstances, we concluded that, uh, we thought it was fair to allow a save versus death magic and, uh, a successful save and you wouldn't you lose the level. You'd just take, uh, double damage instead. So that's how we handled level drain so that it wasn't quite as, uh, over the top deadly with it, but still had the threat of it. Um, and that seemed to work out pretty well. So that's how we dealt with those situations. Just a couple house rules for you. And I will be at Gary Con with my uh, oldest son, Chase, for his first ever Gary Con. So we're pretty excited about that. So we will see you guys in March. Kojo
0: out. All right.
1: Good you know stuff. what? You, you know what, man. I love the idea. One of the things that people, at least I've heard, and they haven't used these words specifically, so I'm just gonna um, put some words in multiple people's mouths. But when you lose <clears throat> the level drain and this and so on, without anything, it just automatically happens to you. There feels like this. It's a loss of agency. Like, oh, there's nothing I can do. There's literally nothing I can do. No, save, no a, there is no nothing there you is can do. Too fucking
0: bad. You, hey, you know what "rip" means? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the, I like the idea of uh, a death save, especially old school, because a death save was never in my memory. Is not like a really, it's not an easy save to make. And he's saying, oh, not only did that, but you took You're going to take double damage, no matter what. I mean, <clears throat> you're going to get whopped for whatever it is, which is kind of cool. I like that. I like that house rule. That's a little interesting, and the cleric one too. That's kind of cool.
0: Yes, and and bringing the youngster to Garycon for their for this first gaming convention. I wonder how old Kojo. How old is your youngster? I'm curious. Just out of
1: yeah, AJ was at Garycon last year, and he was did he turn twelve? Yeah, he was. No, he was eleven at the time. His birthday's in April, but he'll be. he should be at uh, Gary Con this next year with us as well at some point. Susan will drag him out.
0: Cool. Right, you might as well just make family vacations around gaming. I mean, how convenient is that?
1: Well, that's, that's how I went to New York. That's how I got to Queen City Conquest, yeah. and it's um, EverCon is a family event. Uh, my kids and my wife will be at uh, Gamehole Con, so yeah, it's it's becoming a thing. It's pretty easy to get away. Yes, it is. <laughs>
0: All right. All right. Thanks, Kojo, for uh, another audio. Appreciate it. Absolutely, uh,
1: man. See you at Gary Con, brother. Yeah.
0: See you at Gary Now for uh, Goblin's Henchman.
3: Hi, Sean. Hi, Brett. Hope you're both doing well. It's Goblin's Henchman here. On your, with your recent episode about mapping, you managed to lure me out of my cave. And here I am darkening your doorstep. So, funnily enough, I'm a bit of a sucker for, for anything about maps. So I sort of um, I'm a moth to the flame for this kind of stuff. So anyway, thank you for covering it. I thought you did another excellent episode, and uh, enjoyed hearing your ideas about it. Um, one thing that occurred to me um, when you guys were discussing it is I think I think Brett was talking about having a having sort of a player reference map. I think you and Sean were saying it was quite nice if players have some sort of reference map in their hand, so that when they're exploring the dungeon, you don't have to explain every last bit of it. But by the same 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 time, you don't want to give them too much information because it you know could spoil the adventure. So I think Brett was talking about taking a map and sort of maybe photoshopping it or you know adding some anomalies and that kind of stuff. But the um, the idea I had, I thought, which I think well at least I think is interesting. You guys see what you think, obviously. But is um, whenever you run an adventure, I reckon whenever someone is mapping a player at the end of the session or adventure or whatever it is when it's concluded, why don't you? I think it's a good idea maybe to get that player map and then the next time you run the adventure, that's the handout you can give to the other players. So it's almost certainly going to be, um, you know, contain numerous errors. Um, there's going to be sort of cryptic writing in the corner of, you know, in the margins and things. And um, But overall, it's going to have a, overall bearing in fact because it's, it's based on what they actually encountered so you should hopefully be good enough to get your your bearings but not so good as to give it all away anyway that's that's the, the thought i had um, see what you think and um anyway thanks thanks again for what you guys do cheerio
1: that's cool i like well, that you, idea so so You're, you at, run an adventure yeah. Because especially especially a con game, how many times do you run the same adventure at cons? I tend to run the same one a couple of times like, to get it down. At least that's what I've been doing. You run the, I run, you know, r- <clears throat> I run Iron Shoes for Avalon or then I run Blacksmith's Folly. If anybody's made a map for it or if they've written anything down or whatever, collect that in one way, shape or form and then use that as the handout for the next group. Especially if you're doing a dungeon crawl or something, you know, you've run whatever, you know, Tomb of Annihilation, or I mean, pick your poison, then have that be the handout for the next group that goes through it. That's kind of cool. It kind of it talks like the West Marches concept where we talked about, you know, where you have players going out, getting different data, and then combining it themselves and trying to figure, make heads or tails out of the descriptions and the uh, locations of things. That's kind of cool. I like that idea. Yeah, I think I might do that.
0: Sounds like a plan.
1: Especially with my kids, because if I look at, you know, the other thing is even if if I take the stuff that AJ and Lana are doing now, if I run any of these uh old school adventures again, I throw it out there, it will <clears throat> look like a little kid drew it because they're only, you know, they're, they're 10 and 12. So they'll, oh, uh, wow, that could be kind of cool. Neat. I like it. Thank you, henchman. That was good stuff, man.
0: Yeah. Use that one up. Thanks, goblins. All right. You want to take the first one or?
1: I'll let you do it.
0: All right. So Matt V regarding virtual tabletops. So he commented on an episode. I think it was 214 or, or one thereabouts. Um, map tools. It's a pretty powerful if you don't want to do math. Um, and I have used me personally. I've used map tools. It's interesting. Uh, but you do have to macro it, he says. And I agree wholeheartedly, Matt. So it's fun if you got some time to make that that happen. So he says, I ran Fallout, which is a D100, where you may have five to eight modifiers for an attack. Not only did it do all the math, it would automatically apply damage to the target. So it takes a lot of time to master, however, and I think it's pretty outdated now. Still, as far as what I've used, it's the most powerful virtual tabletop. And I agree, we had, we had one guy who he was a C++ programmer. And so when he got into it, he just went bonkers and really modified a lot of the functionality. I mean, we had some guys that were dinking around with macros and they tend to work. But, yeah, he was starting to really get into it. And then I think our campaign kind of fizzled or just, yeah. But it's it's something if you want to get into math tools and go nuts.
1: That's some know, cool stuff. I, I don't... Right? if you put the time into it it's really it's really slick and the the bigger part for me is the time yeah aspect aspect of it and part of it is the learning curve because I don't have the programming chops to try that type of stuff it, maybe it's easier than I think it is right you could get into it and I'll tell you, if nothing else you know what a way to learn something is you know because you're doing it for a thing you love versus doing it just to get a paycheck not that I don't like getting paid but I mean doing this for fun because the end result will make your fun all the more fun very cool Nice thought, man.
2: Yeah.
1: <sighs> There's a long one. Christopher Gray emailed us about cursed items. Hey, BNS, listening to your episode on curses, I didn't have much to add except for a gaming story, so I hope you enjoy it. And maybe it'll spark some ideas. In my homebrew campaign a couple years ago, I introduced the idea of the decay, which is essentially the nothing from the never-ending story. You creep into an area and destroy all life in its wake and transform ordinary people into undead. Creatures that had the displeasure of crossing through the the decay would have to do wisdom saves every night because the nightmares were so bad it caused them to lose sleep. On on save failures, they suffered exhaustion, which would stack if they didn't sleep well into the next night. To make matters worse, thinking back, I wonder why my players stayed with me through all this. Uh, They found the source of the decay. They discovered the big bad had an instant fortress that he'd carry around with him. When he cast on the ground, it created a large tower. That tower... Uh, was what brought the decay, and the, de- and the decay would come the moment the tower was planted. <clears throat> so the dutiful hero was defeated the big bad and took his tower. Now they had a source of the decay. No big deal, right? They just need to take some sort of powerful wizard to destroy it. As long as they didn't cast the tower, there's no decay. Well, here comes the curse. The tower really wants to be a tower. It's not happy just to hang out in a character's pocket as an object that looks like a chess piece. It wants to be used so that it can spread decay. It also turned into Lord of the Rings situation wherein whomever was carrying the tower would have to do a wisdom save or be compelled, by any means necessary, to cast the tower and activate it. If they were restrained or unable to physically cast the tower, they would suffer exhaustion. So each character would hold on to it until wisdom failure occurred, and then the others would tackle them before they managed to activate the tower, and then they'd switch who was carrying it. <laughs> classic, classic characters, man. Ah, this went on for weeks in game time. They were in the middle of nowhere when traveling to a distant... Uh, hope of a city, uh, they may have to try the solution to try to find a solution for this, and and they had months yet to go. Frankly, I had no idea how they're going to resolve it. Then one person had the idea of putting it into their bag of holding. After all, if it's in a pocket dimension, it can't have pull on you. They might have forgotten to reach page one fifty three of the DMG, where it clearly states what happens if you put a dimensional magic item into a bag of holding. There was a massive explosion, and <clears throat> all the contents of the bag of holding were scattered in, into the ethereal plane or destroyed, including gems worth thousands of gold pieces, some magic armor and weapons, and a few artifacts. Fortunately, no one died from it, but they got close. The good news is the tower was also destroyed. <laughs> so all's well that ends well, except for the players uh, that had gone to the bathroom while this happened and returned to find out his fancy armor was obliterated hope that triggers some ideas for folks. In short, exhaustion is a great 5U mechanic to mess with. That's not too obtrusive and really helps to set the tone for a curse. Also, if you're going to put a dimensional object into a bag of holding, empty it first. P.S. Keep up the good work, especially you, Sean. P.P.S. I'm kidding. Brett should keep up the great work. And P.P.S. You're both right. Wow. Thank you, man.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Christopher Gray.
1: Have you, de- have you had people do the whole dimensional thing inside a dimensional thing? for the traditional explosion.
0: I don't recall. No, no.
1: One of my favorite things I did, I ran uh, white blue mountain ages back, not ages, a number of years ago. And we did some random magic generation for these high level PCs that the guys made. And my buddy alpha ends up with a bag of devouring. And at the end of all things I had, um, because the night was, um, they had finished that and I was kind of turning the, um, the White Plume Mountain itself into a different type of a campaign. There was a demilich involved, kind of the source of all this this pain they were trying to solve. And um his thief character whipped out that bag of holding and stuck it over the, the skull of the demilich as it floated there. Which turns out at the time for a beautiful one shot was a wonderful way to not only blow himself right to hell, but also to get rid of the demilich as well, which was kind of cool. It's one of my more favorite times that people did something crazy.
0: Ah, the good times. It was.
1: Thank you, Mr. Gray. Over to you, Sean.
0: Forrest Gary continues on with Cursed Items. Hey, Brett Sean, Sean Brett. Timing is a funny thing. I haven't had a cursed item show up in a game for many years. Then you drop the cursed item episode and, well, serendipity happened. If you can call your character getting a cursed item, serendipity. Here's the story. I play Rin the Thief. Now, you could say Ryan We'll say Rin. I'll
1: go with Rin. He's a weekly
0: Greyhawk 2E campaign. Love this character. He's grown to be one of my favorites. Before becoming a thief, the orphan Rin tried to join the ranks of St. Cuthbert as an acolyte, but he just didn't have the discipline for it. Fast forward many years and 14 levels later, and Rin and the party he's, w- and the party he's with fight Cast the Destroyer, then Vecna. I wish I had time to go over how Rin took care of Cass, but that awesome piece of story will have to wait for a later date. Eventually, the party is up against Vecna. Yeah, the Vecna. Along the way, we got Cass's very shiny sword. Rin, being a thief, didn't carry it. Our tank carried it. But when she went down, followed by our backup tank, followed by our third-in-the-line tank, Rin was the only one left to try to finish the job. By a very fortuitous set of rolls and some strategizing, Rin was able to end up behind Vecna, then rolled a crit on his backstab with the Sword of Cass, or the Sword of Freaking Cass, as it appeared on my character sheet. (laughs) So Rin dusted off Vecna once and for all. Problem is, Rin liked the way that sword felt in his hands. He really really liked it. He liked it so much that he didn't give it back to the other party members. That was his sword now, and no one was going to take it from him. It was, as they say, precious to him. <laughs> precious. precious. Long story short, Rin too
1: ended late. up... Sorry. That's the usual answer. Long story short, too late. Carry on.
0: Long story short, Rin ended up having a talk with the surviving head of the Order of St. Cuthbert in Greyhawk. The city had been pretty much destroyed before this. It was just the two of them with the cleric gently talking Rin through. You know, things. It was actually kind of a touching character moment, and Rin decided that it was, indeed, best to have the sword hidden away deep down in the vaults under Greyhawk's Church of St. Cuthbert. No remove curse needed. No one had to hack Rin's hand off. It just fit the character moment perfectly, And Rin is reasonable enough to realize how stupid it would be for him to carry that sword with him. So he just gave it up. I recall Sean talking about what makes sense in the story in regards to cursed items. In this case, it made sense that Rin was cursed to love the sword. But it also made sense, especially given his character background, for him to give it up. It really was one of the coolest moments in the campaign. Which has been going for five years now, meeting almost every week. One day I'll tell you about how Rin took care of Cast the Destroyer, one of my most innovative player moments in close to forty years of gaming. But that's a different story for a different time.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you, man, <clears throat> the curse the cool piece we just and we just heard two two chunks of it, is if it's done right, and these both feel like they're done right for that group. And maybe what either of these two gents just wrote in would not fit in your group. You know, I could give that to somebody like Anjan. She'd be like, nah, that wouldn't fit in my group. Or somebody else might be like, oh, not going to work. But it worked in that game. And those cursed items, those stories right there, they're alive and well in those players' minds. And I'm positive the rest of the group as well, as well as the game master. So cursed items, man, you do them right. They uh they can lead to some pretty epic epic tales. That's of cool. That's very cool.
0: That was pretty cool. Thanks they, Forrest, for sharing.
1: Absolutely, man. Hey, Forrest, I assume we will see you at Game World Con next week. So, see you in a few.
0: In his fez.
1: With his fez. He better He's be wearing the never fez. Never without his fez. I have seen him once at a con without a fez and it freaked me right the fuck out cuz I didn't recognize him at first. He waved at me I'm like I have no idea who that dude is.
0: Never going to do it without your fez on. <laughs> That's Forrest's song. Steely Dan, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's get to the main topic. Rock and roll. Holy cow, Brett.
1: This is your topic, not mine.
0: We are here tonight, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, to talk to... Brett B. from Gaming NBS and the author of Avalon, the campaign setting. Yes. The upcoming campaign setting. Correct. Coming to you via Kickstarter in December. Yes. A month from this recording, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yep. Uh, we don't have the actual date date in December, but the encoded Designs crew and I are pushing for the December date. So we're all everything is on track.
0: So you're probably asking yourself... What is this Avalon thing that you guys mention on occasion? What is what is the story behind this Avalon? Is it part of the Arthurian legend? Or maybe no one cares. Just Sean is interested.
1: It doesn't matter. I, You're gonna have to listen.
0: I was talking to Brett earlier and Brett would just he you'll find out during this interview, maybe not. But Brett is a humble guy. And I told him, I said, Brett, this is your product, man. This is your brainchild, your creation. It's got to be fantastic. And you have to share it with the world. And Brett like, oh, you know, it's probably dumb and nobody wants to know about it. I'm (laughs) like, who in the world talks about their own kind of product like that?
1: A guy who's grown up to become a self-deprecating little monster. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Brett B is that guy. But let's get into it, shall we? Let's shall. Brett, what is Avalon? So let me let me even back up. When when was Avalon born?
1: Your Avalon. So when I first came up with the idea was, let's see, it was Susan 15 years, it was, five, it was four years before that, almost 20 years ago. Wow, well, 20 I years ago. was with my ex-wife and when she and I were living in a different house, different town, different jobs, and I wanted to have a, a large city campaign. I had a group of my players at the time who wanted to play D&D in a city campaign because they did a lot of dungeon crawling and so forth. And I had said, hey, I run a lot of vampire guys. So we could run a vampire game, cities, vampires, you know. And no one in the group that um, a lot of these guys I was working with in Madison at the time want, had any interest in the White Wolf stuff. They wanted to play D&D but a city campaign. <clears throat> so I said, okay, I'll come up with this idea. And I had uh, played some of the uh, the original video game Thief by Edios Entertainment, I think it was. Yep. Um, played some of that back before I used. To, but I now currently get motion sick whenever I play first shooter games, so I don't play any of those anymore. But <clears throat> I played that, and I had um, I had read uh, a number of the Lancmar books by Fritz Leiber. Love that stuff, and I'd even read Thieves' World. And um, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, Gary Gygax Saga of Old City. Um, some of the, uh, the his, his novels, which were not this, not the best written, but sure a hell of a lot of fun from a gamer perspective. So that was pretty cool. So I sat down and <clears throat> came with this really massive city, a walled city, um, that we could adventure in. And I decided to name it Avalon because Avalon has a Arthurian feel to it. It feels very, whenever I, I've heard the term before, it always was a very peaceful, happy place or a, a place to aspire to be. And what I wanted this to be was a place that used to be that thing and had decayed and crumbled and uh, wasn't quite what it used to be. You know, the the apple had lost some of its luster there. Maybe a worm or two had gotten in. My my love for Warhammer First Edition and some of the grittier, darker, more noir style, if you will, games kind of came to life. Probably because of also the vampire stuff I was doing at the time. That was the genesis of it. I originally did it. Um, because the guys wanted to play GURPS. <clears throat> and I said, All right, I need a setting for this and that's what they wanted to use for it. So I I ran with GURPS and then we went from GURPS to second edition D D because then the guys decided they wanted to do that, and then third edition came out, and then I started playing uh, that and then three five Pathfinder and then eventually Five E No, which is where I've landed.
0: So now you mentioned the setting and the editions is the is the product that you're going to put out for consumption to the masses is it based on a rule set or are you making it a uh, edition agnostic or
1: so chris nizak and i from um from Dakota designs he's been we've talked about the um the actual play streets of avalon that um i did with with chris and kevin lovecraft and uh, andy from she's a super geek formerly Emily and Tom Flanagan from nights of night and we talked about it and what we wanted to do was I like the five editions uh, the 5e system but I also love my old school stuff so we wanted to make sure that had a do it do-it-yourself type of feel where I was putting together a an old school type of feel where I'm going to give you tools and mechanisms and saying this is how I build the neighborhood because it's very neighborhood focused. Um, this is how you build this thing. Here's some adventure ideas. This is how this type of thing works. Here's the flora. Here's the fauna. Here's the various gods um, that are worshipped. <clears throat> here's how kind of the, the stuff in the background functions. More um, more of the secrets, of course, for your game master type of thing. But the idea was um, to make it – it has a 5e flair to it, but it is easily used for just about anything. I've run it with um, Osric in the past as well and it works just fine because the setting itself is contained enough and and it works and for me anyway I found that it works really well for multiple fantasy type systems.
0: So do you have certain subsystems built into Avalon? You mentioned building neighborhoods and things of that nature. Do you have that built into the setting like if you for somebody a group to run?
1: Yeah so one of the things we're doing is like uh, for investigations because it's a very investigative heavy game which I brought over uh, from my, my Vampire Days and my Call of Cthulhu stuff was there's a problem set in front of you and you have to go and, you know, do the flatfoot thing. You got to beat the street, figure out what's going on. So Chris and I are, are uh, formalizing the mechanics behind how I've run investigations. Um, <clears throat> some of that stuff you may look at and say, oh, I already know how we do investigations in 5e or when I run an investigative game, um, I have my own thing, which is, of course, totally fine. But well, we wanted to give people starting points that they would understand, hey, if you're going to run this where you're trying to find out what's causing this problem in the graveyard or what the situation is beneath the old um, the old manor house, you would have a set of rules that would help you move the plot forward. Taking a, um, a hint, if you will, from inspectors and, um, and the gumshoe system where you're working with investigations and you're not going to – you failed your role, you fucked. No, you, you you roll and like if if um, <clears throat> you hit your target or above, you're going to get all the data. You go like five underneath it, you get a little bit and so on. So you're going to get something as you go through it to kind of push the investigations along. The other thing we want to do is take the classes and races and Avalonize them, as I jokingly call it, and making sure that they fit appropriately. Avalon tends to be <coughs> – excuse me – low magic insofar as that it is, um, it's rare and it's not that everybody has it. There are, um, you have street alchemists, people that make potions, things you can buy there. There's schools of alchemy and wizardry and so forth, but, um, rangers don't cast spells type of thing, you know, and I'm, I, I've never been a big fan of rangers being big spell wielders and so forth. So we want to try to tweak that, taking a bit of a and from some of the Middle Earth five e books, and looking at how they've done those things, and saying, "Hey, how do we make these races and classes appropriate for the Avalon setting so that it fits really well?" Does that make sense?
0: It does, and and so you're getting into quite a bit of the nuances of the setting, which is great. But what is it? What is special about Avalon? Because there's a lot of settings out there, and yeah. I know somebody's going to create their own because it's a a love of theirs, a passion of theirs. It's something that they're yearning to get out of themselves and to to kind of get out of some of the maybe usual. How do I pre published campaign yep. settings? So what what sets Avalon aside from, say, Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk okay. or or even Lord of the Rings? Or some of those things.
1: So I look at Avalon and I it's it's local adventures with a uh, larger it adventures locally but impacts globally. And by that, I mean what happens in um, uh, the characters are all part of a neighborhood. That's where they are. They're either from the Outlands, if they've come into Avalon, if that's their background, or they're natives in the area. And they're operating in and around a specific neighborhood. They know some of these people they have got NPCs they're, f- they're familiar with and so forth. And from that neighborhood, things happen. <laughs> if you listen to the uh, Streets of Avalon actual play, and I know not everybody is an actual play fan, but we're trying to capture that approach, which is how I've... I've always run Avalon. These these local adventures, you're doing a thing and you run into this horrible problem, um, undead in the sewers. You run into um, goblins that are causing problems. Um, they're, stealing, they're stealing children, trying to replace them like the old school changelings from myth. Um, you're dealing with thieves guilds who are having a little street turf wars back and forth. um, um Uh, drug peddlers. Um, You've got people because of certain poor areas are cannibals. (laughs) So you've got to deal with that problem. And while you're doing with this stuff, there's all these guilds. It's a massive city. Um, It's 50 plus miles wide, maybe twice that long. It's all walled. It's enclosed. Um, Part of me thought about the old escape from New York. right? It's this massive walled place. And when you're in there, you don't ever leave type of thing. It's this little womb that keeps you. Boy, you're there, <laughs> everybody has a story. I took that from the noir concept. Everybody's got a story. Everybody has a reason for what they're doing, um, sometimes personal things. You're talking to, this, uh, to the baker and his wife, and they're in trouble, and they really need some help because there's a press gang who's giving them shit, so you're going to help them out. Well, that thing turns into being, well, actually, the press gang is part of a larger street war between these two thieves' guilds, and that's being initiated from – the guild masters who are beholden to some of the nobles who sit on the magistrates council that actually run the city and they're, they have a larger global thing they're trying to accomplish. But you little bitty neighborhood characters are impacting all of that politicking, all of that stuff that's happening by at the street level, taking care of the problem or perhaps exacerbating the problem because you completely fucked it up and you, you didn't take care of it appropriately. And when I've run campaigns within it, as the players figure things out, and through the investigations and sorting out who does what and how, then they start rocking those pillars. They get to a point where, like, I'm taking this guild down. This noble house is corrupt. It's their fault that they have <clears> – <throat> that they've caused this problem in our neighborhood and other places. They're done. We're taking them out. Or there's this horrible threat beneath the city that's coming out. Um, and I used – um. At the time, I'd use Sons of Caius, one of my original pieces. That was just like a breeding ground for these horrific undead. Um, so that's that's the idea behind it. Is it you're starting small, and from those small pieces, if you think Goodman Games when he talks about in the fantasy areas, you only know certain areas, right? You start to slowly creep your way across different neighborhoods and impacting different people, and then through that local. Level adventure, and you start to have a global impact on the city and everything else around you. Because again, it's a walled place. All the when you drop that pebble in that pond, it ripples big. It goes all the way to the walls, and sometimes washes all the way back to you.
0: Do you have a Do you have anything for game masters specifically for Avalon that help coordinate and tie those into something? Um...
1: Yep. So what we're trying to do um, is to take. I like the concept that uh, Ken Haidt had with his, con- his Conspiramid from Nice Black Agents. And it's kind of a it's a take on that around saying, here's how you build this type of environment. When, when I set this up, this is how I set it up, trying to model what I've done and how I've done it and the success I've had with it. And then lay that out in kind of a <laughs> – almost a Mad Libs, if you will, type of thing like – one of these equals two of these, you know, fill in the blanks, if you will, and that will help set you up so that you can have that type of, of an adventure. Does that make sense? It does. So, unique classes? Um, <clears throat> No, not really unique classes. Um, I would say from – apart from some of the adjustments that I want to make and we're trying to sort out how we can – can we get all that done in the core piece? Would that be a stretch goal within? But – Classes themselves, I hate to say neutered because that sounds like I'm going through and just nerfing the shit out of everything. but I don't want ton, I don't want um, Rangers casting tons of spells and that, that I pick on Rangers for that, but we don't want that. I want to make sure that the classes make sense. So if you're a, if you're a druid inside the city, how would you do that? What does that work? So I want to make sure that I'm providing this is how these actually function. That's what I'm trying to get to. Um, races I have um, you have uh, commoners. Um, noblemen, commoners are humans, nobles, um, are, are basically half elves by the rules. They just, um, they just, they see themselves as being of noble stock. Historically with an Avalon, it was an interbreeding between the elves and the humans that created this noble class, which is what they've evolved into or devolved into in the case. Maybe, um, bargemen are, um, rule wise halflings. They're a seafaring race. That's kind of stuck here. Um, they uh their homeland <clears throat> is destroyed, gone, missing, or they don't really talk about it much, but the point is those that's another group of people. They have outlanders. Outlanders come in two forms. You have your regular human style outlander, somebody's from outside the city of Avalon coming in, and then you have half orcs, which are also outlanders. Um they tend to be a little more human in appearance than the pure orcish strain, but it's a more wilder version of the outlander that sometimes comes into the city of Avalon as well. And tries to make a home and fortune there. Um, Oh, the other piece is there's guns. So because you've got alchemy and so on, you do have you have firearms. They're expensive. They're not incredibly common, but they do exist. I have a uh, guild within the alchemists group. There's a school called the Arquebusiers, and they work on perfecting gunpowder explosives, and all those things. It's not like um, Wild West Gatling cannons or anything like that. It's more muskets, flintlocks, that type of thing. They're dangerous, um, tricky, and incredibly expensive. Your nobles um, will have access to them more than anybody else. If you listen to the uh, Streets of Avalon, one of the uh, the bargemen, Willie, by name, uh, shoots Kevin's love interest um, at one point. Spoiler, sorry. Um, <laughs> but that was uh, that he happened to have a handgun. So a lot
0: of politics. There's a lot of groups. So some of the groups that some of the player characters or even consumers are going to read about in the Avalon campaign setting, what do those look like?
1: So um, this, the way the city is set up, the, um, the king um, no longer exists. That, has, that line has died out. So you now have noble, noble uh, families. There's 13 nobles that make up the magistrate's council, 13, the highest family, number one family. Um, has the deciding vote in case there's a split, right? So you've got thirteen. Of course, the thirteenth seat is open currently because you can't have it all happy. So is that the, how is
0: that how it starts like the campaign <laughs> setting starts? Yes,
1: the, yes, see. the thirteenth house is wide open. So there's plenty of there's a reason for the nobles, not only they're back buddy amongst each other, but they really have to move and shake to make things happen. And when somebody at the top starts shaking, the dirt and the other things start sifting down to the poor people in the streets. Um, the nobles control guilds. You've got Wainwrights, you've got brewers and wine and winemakers, you've got urban harvesters. The Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators deal with all the uh, waterways beneath the city. They raise atiugs, um, which are really handy because they're waste disposal units. Um, don't mess with Vera. She's one of the big nasty atiugs down, uh, down the dock ward. My buddy uh, Beta's character, Muddy Joe, who is a Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators guy, he, uh, he named an Atiug. <laughs> just decided that that's what they do, and it worked so well we, we kept it. Um, but you've got guilds like thieves' guilds and assassins' guilds, all these different groups, um, all trying to make their way. Basically, it's a city environment where, again, people are trying to do something. They're trying to raise a family. They want to um, – uh, you know, they're tanners. They're working in the space. They're trying to make money and so forth. Um, silver is the standard coin. So you, you've got your, your, the costs don't really change much, right? So a sword is still expensive. You can't afford that. You might be, you know, you've got to save a lot. You have to save a lot. Coin, coin really matters. And, um, those are the different types of groups, like just normal mundane things. And then within that, of course, you've got cults to horrible gods like Erlig, one of them, uh, the major deity of evil that's worshipped. There are undead. There are ghouls. Um, can be fairly prevalent. You have people that are unfortunately um, resort to cannibalism in times of despair and, um, and want um, that will head out into the sewers. You do have goblins, kobolds, creatures like that. They're in and out and amongst. Um, I have taken some uh, fake creatures like um, you know uh, some little fairies and sprites and things that will inhabit homes and help people or hurt them if you piss them off. Um, those things exist as well. Farther outside of the city, of course, there's stories of dragons and big-ass things, but that's way out there, and who would ever get out there? But there's plenty of horrible, nasty things beneath the city. I've had um, characters encounter uh, a Gorgon, the uh, big ironclad bull from uh, D&D myth uh, beneath the city of Avalon. We've had uh, trolls beneath the city, ogres, horrible things. And sometimes the things below become the things on top. Um, there are aberrations like your aboleths and so on, that you know. There's plenty of rumors and myths about those as well. So, is
0: there any adventuring beyond Avalon?
1: Is there any adventure at this? Um, I have run games outside of Avalon itself, yes. But at this point, the way this, uh the way we're focusing the setting to try to make it the best we can, it's within the city itself. So you have your political intrigue game, you have your um. Street level, you know, we're thieves, we're trying to make money, we're trying to, um, I want to own a inn, I want to investigate a murder, you've got that type of thing. If you really want to go <coughs> adventuring in the older school, pure sense, you want to go to a dungeon, there's an entire uh, dwarven city of Thorbrandor which lies beneath Avalon, um, that the different uh, levels and layers within the sewer system connects into back and out, so you can do that. There's plenty of a... The size of the city has plenty of uh, old abandoned graveyards. It has abandoned manor houses and keeps that were built within. There's a section of the city um, a walled off even within the wall itself. What most people refer to as the old city or the forgotten city. Um, perhaps some have said the original city of Avalon. And it's walled off. You're not allowed in there. You can't go there. Well, obviously. You tell that to any group of adventurers and the first thing you like is, how to, oh, where's the door? <laughs> right? So... I have run um like religious intrigue games. we had the uh, the house of Odin, the Church of Odin at one point uh, a priest had lost a religious artifact so there was um a lot of scramble and so forth trying to figure that out and again cults religious groups going back and forth but um, there's been plenty of monster hunting and slaying as well. Does that make that, sense?
0: it does now you mentioned some of the some known Names or known entities you referred to Odin, Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. So not, are you not
1: a uh, gorgon? A gorgon, gorgon. The big the big bull that, uh, from D and D fame. Yes.
0: So are you using some of those canon-based deities, demigods, or are you making up some of your own? What What does that look like?
1: So what I do is it, I've tried to grab different different types of gods that have fit. Um, so there is. Um, the Shanghai Shen, which is a, a god of the, uh, the bargemen, a god of the oceans and such, um, which was... I, I went through my original deities and demigods, and I love some of the deities within there, and, and I grabbed and stole a number of them. There's a Norse flavor. There's a lot of Nordic gods, Odin, Thor, Loki. Um, some of those are seen as aspects of each. So between the the, the Church of Odin, there are the Hammerites, which are a group of uh, people that are... Um, are within that church, but 10 more towards Thor's angrier, pissed off, thump the infidels <laughs> type of approach. Um, I also have, um, the mob of Kali, um, which is this group of people that seem completely insane and absolutely chaotic, but they have some sort of a heartbeat movement to them. There's a, there's a some method behind their madness. The, um, to me, the the interesting piece is uh, in actuality, gods don't exist. Magic and everything is just a function. To, it's similar to physics. It's just how it works. Avalon, the world that it is, just is. <clears throat> there are things from outside. You have, um, you have fake. You have the Feywild type of thing. You've got that outside. You have the darkness, which are your. Um, I often refer to a gamer, I would say, like, your Cthulhuid creatures, your demons, your devils. Those are things that try to come in, that try to grab onto things, and force their way into the world itself. But generally speaking, when your cleric is calling upon Odin to do something, Odin doesn't answer. You're simply casting a spell. Um, I took that concept from the original Um Lankmar um, setting. Uh, TSR did. My memory of it anyway was, it's been a while since I've reread it, but clerics are basically, they have prayer books and so on, and their chants and what they've learned and how they pray is no different than a wizard memorizing a spell. It's just a different approach. It's a different tool to it. The cleric believes, she believes wholeheartedly that she's worshiping the old faith, the the tenders of the dead, the fallen, the earth, and so forth. She's absolutely into that and this other guy across the street, he totally believes that he's doing everything he should so that um, you know, it, the, when the ships come back, everyone will be happy. It'll be perfect. We'll have a great catch and a good harvest. But at the end of the day, there are no gods. They, they just flat don't exist. Um, there are things from outside that your warlocks and classes like that from D&D 5e would call in and perhaps might worship as a god. Um, but genu- genuinely speaking, classic D anD d terms, there are no gods. So,
0: when you open up Avalon and you start perusing it, what is going to stand out
1: most to a player? Mostly, my magnificent writing. Well, It'll of course, be phenomenal. Yes. People will probably take Steinbeck, throw it out. Hemingway, right. gone. Of course. Yes, I assume. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I think, apart from the the scope of the city itself, um, what I'm trying to do is take things, um, pieces of uh, pieces of it that make it very uniquely Avalon. The lamplighters. The lamplighters are a uh, a race of being that live within the confines of Avalon. Every night, when the clock tower strikes, um, when it's dark, goes ding. It hits. The lamplighters appear. And they walk the streets and light all the oil lamps. These are creatures of amazing and vast power. And they have all this amazing wisdom and so forth. Um, <laughs> seven to eight feet tall, hunched, cloaked. Uh, they carry their, their um, <clears throat> bent shepherd's crook with the little wick on the end so they can light all the candles. They have no eyes. The skin just simply comes down. Needle-like teeth. This horrible raspy scarecrow in the a, in a back of a forgotten cave voice. And they answer questions. They provide knowledge and wisdom and guidance for a cost, of course. If you want to talk to a lamplighter, it's best to bring them an offering. If you want to talk to a lamplighter and find out where something is, if you happen to have a candle that's that's made from the tallow of a still, of a stillborn calf, that will get you somewhere. If you have the monocle that was taken from a from a dead sage, that would be very helpful. Things that are about light and vision and sight and that type of thing, very helpful. Um <laughs> People have uh, taken the blood from the blood from a newborn child and turned it into something in order to give it to to these things. It, there's there's a level of darkness you can get into that I don't d- dig deeply into because some some of that's very excardi type of thing. But the point is is that what you're looking for is to offer them something and then they give you things. And they have also been known to tempt you, like, hey, I'll tell you this if you go get this for me so that type of a, that type of a setting the way that the neighborhoods flow and function and um i just kind of the one-stop shop if you will of you're in this place and it's big it is freaking huge and you can stay within that neighborhood you can go miles deep miles wide and sometimes you know not necessarily miles up but in status up and down there's so much that can be done just within that, within those confines. It's no longer it's the city and other people have done a similar thing. This is again, my take, but a city campaign is not just a place for you to go and hang out for a bit before you go kill the dragon, in the next mountain, or before you go off to the the new moon or whatever it is you're going, you're going to, this is the place, not only for your base of operations, but for everything just rolls right out of it. So does that answer your question?
0: It does. It does. Now, a lot of, RPGs specifically. Well, let me go back to this. Now there are elements of Avalon that seem almost on the border of a Victorian age, right? You have, you have guns and gunpowder. Yep. I have, um, lamp lighters.
1: My buddy Alpha, the first, um, other game master than myself to run a game within it. Um, he grabbed a Ravenloft adventure that he had, Um, I can't remember where the hell he got it from, but it was like a one-shot Ravenloft adventure with this house that was possessed or ended up being possessed. And we went through, we went through this thing. There was this woman who um, basically it was a house full of these horrible marionettes and people. It was just this vile, nasty thing. We killed the person who we thought was it, her essence, soul, whatever, what have you goes into the house and the house is now animate. And this thing trying to eat us and destroy us. And we fled the house. We looked at each other and said, well, we're, we're out of there. I <laughs> remember one of the other players looked at me and goes, Shouldn't we fix it? And I said, Nah, fuck it. That's dangerous, man. Let's leave. And we just left. <laughs> and it was just it's a very Avalon type of thing where you you know, your characters are there's you're trying to do good things, perhaps, in some cases. And sometimes those things go horribly wrong. And because of that, sometimes you make morally ambiguous choices. You're like, ah, maybe shouldn't have done that. But I guess to to circle back, so a Victorian style feel, yeah, there is some of that with the um the concept of you know you have people who are spying, you know you have bards that are working the bards guild, well known for for the <laughs> they're really easily um they adapt themselves quite well to a rent a spy, you know you need to get into somewhere you get the bard and she can go in and go find data for you, um you do have guns you have people that are. I wouldn't say swashbuckling because that's that's too it's it's too grand of, of a of a term. But you do have that the high society feel, and the the difference between high society, the nobles, and the commoners is very drastic. And it looks very black and white, but in the middle of it are all the wonderful grays, or the house that does everything they can to hold on to their noble standing, even though their cuffs are tattered the carriage could use some new paint. They don't have as many horses as they used to and so on. Makes sense? It does, yeah. Okay.
0: Now you mentioned the magic system. Mhm. Are you still sticking with the and type approach?
1: <clears throat> yes. Um because we want to stick with um it's the most logical thing at this point if I were to do if this takes off if you will and does well, I might look at perhaps a different way to go about it. I've not seen a problem with it within the setting there are um, Sorcerers do not exist. So if you're thinking d d 5e or even 3 or Pathfinder type of thing, sorcerers don't exist. It doesn't fit the genre. Um, warlocks do. Wizards do. Um, I have, at one, it, back in Pathfinder, when I was playing it. Somebody wanted to be an Oracle. I'm like, that does not fit. I want to be a summoner. Mm, kind of. I was thinking about it. I like the warlock approach better than a Pathfinder summoner. So, tieflings, tieflings, um, not there. Dragonborn, not there. Those type of races don't work in that setting. So, you could, as always, once you have it, it's yours. I'm not the Avalon police to come until you. you're doing. You're running my world wrong because it's yours. You can do whatever you want. I've had a friend of mine, uh, Lenny, who's told me that the Kenku, the the Raven people, he's like, oh, it'd just be perfect if you put them in there. That's in the back of my head. Maybe that could be something I, I do at a later date, but. Yeah, so back to the magic question. Yes, I'm sticking with the uh the Vancian approach. I think it it um the concept of study and understanding and its self-limiting approach is kind of is pretty handy. And in 5E you have plenty of other the cantrips and so forth allow you lots of faster abilities to do things more at will.
0: Now as a player, we've talked about this on the show about how much of a campaign setting does a player know inherently because they're part of that world? Mm-hmm. How do you position that with players that you're going to run through the campaign? And how do you implement that into the setting as, itself?
1: So what I'm trying to capture in the book itself is similar to what I did with the uh, the actual play. Kevin was the only person between Andy, Chris, and Tom. Kevin was the only one who ever adventured in Avalon before. Andy and Tom chose to make characters that were outlanders. They wanted to be new and just kind of gape at everything. Oh my God, what is this? You have this, you sell coffee all day. You have sticky buns all the time. This is insane. What do you mean there's these people? So they would, I would give a description of something and they would bounce off of that with, wow, this is so different than what I'm used to. And that would give me then as a game master, something to push forward. So I try to bring that in. Chris had come in, and um, one of the things I, I like, I'm not a huge part pl- of the Apocalypse fan, but one of the things I loved about reading the Dungeon World book was the idea of making a map and leave blanks, right? So when I'm coming in, I do the the Game Master trick we've talked about is, <clears throat> so there's a baker in town. What's her name? Oh, her name is this. How do you know this individual? What do you know here? When I introduce something new, I let the players provide a lot of data back. So I'm trying to capture that in the... um in the environment itself so that there's plenty of blank spaces where you can grab onto that neighborhood and make it your own. You don't need me to spoon feed everything to you. You can ask me a thing. Hey, I lived here, Sean, you know, I'm I'm in Avalon now. You're telling me the liché, the main followers of the old faith attend the dead. They've got corpse carts. They pick things up. You've described that. They all go the same graveyard. How does that work? I would know this because I'm from here. Yes, Brett, here's how this functions. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Based on that, then I will do X um, by trying to get it so that when you are in the neighborhood, it's your neighborhood is your character's neighborhood. You own that thing. That knowledge there is ours to share. I'm not dumping the entire city on you. I'm building a neighborhood. <clears throat> it's a graspable thing. It doesn't. There's plenty of back history where the lamplighters come from originally. What is this great, horrible thing? Why did Brett steal the brain gorgers from Alex Cammer? Where's this? You know, where's all that stuff coming from? Don't trouble about that. Don't worry about that right now. It's the neighborhood. This is where we start. And because it's your neighborhood, you have ownership in it. And that's what I think helps to make it so that you don't need to digest the entire world. And because it's yours, you're feeding bits and pieces to it. For the longest time, nobody in Avalon drank coffee until I started playing with a certain group of people. And it just became a thing. Like, I'll go down here to get coffee. My wife, when she was playing with, uh, with me a, a while back, she had a place, and uh, Alpha's character was a Luchet named Joseph. And he always came to her inn to buy brand muffins because he had to get himself moving. That was his, <laughs> that was his thing. He needed his brand muffins. He was a six year old guy with a big bell that he whacked you with. That was his mace. Um, he had a story and he had all this stuff. And he wanted to make sure, but that was just part of that, wasn't even a thing. But because you own the neighborhood and you own all those components of it, you're not just visiting the city. This is your city. And because of that, I think it lends itself to an easier onboarding or a slower ramp, if you will, I think. Hopefully that works.
0: So what notable NPCs are players potentially going to encounter in Avalon?
1: <coughs> well, let's see. I have – um there's Newt and Beecher, which are – um Basically, I've got a lot of uh, PCs that are going to become NPCs that uh, my game, my crew has done over the years. I love, I love that tradition within gaming. Um, there are names that have come up in uh, the actual play podcast I did and a couple other locations. One of my favorite pieces that may or may not make it in is the Lady Madonna, which is a uh, ship that I think has been sunk and found again, like, no less than six times. It keeps popping up different campaigns will have this freaking lady Madonna, the ship keep popping up and they can't, they haven't yet figured out what the actual problem is. Um, I don't have, let me think. Do, 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 do. I have some noble houses uh, that are out there. So those, those sometimes become, those sometimes become important and um, trying to take the NPCs that came from the actual play podcast and make sure that they're involved as well. I really try to, because it's neighborhood by neighborhood when I build it, the NPCs that become important are the ones that the player characters are interacting with regularly. So, you know, if mama Lou is the one who runs the boarding house where <clears throat> all the kids who are runners of Hermes, these little kids that, that cruise this, that cruise the city, you give them a copper, they run messages back and forth. They get this. There's amazing. You give them money. They take a message. They find people They're this wonderful system. If mama Lou's boarding house, becomes an integral part of your character's day-to-day life in that neighborhood. Mamalu becomes a very important NPC. Um, you may not give two shits about, you know, Ergon, the, uh, the great wizard architect lich who lives somewhere beneath the city. You may never encounter Ergon. You don't care. It's Ergon, whatever. It, it doesn't matter to you because it doesn't impact your characters directly. So does, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I can't tell if you're humoring me or you're actually, oh, okay. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what is this tome going to weigh in at as far as page count? Do you know
1: yet? I think we're at uh, a hundred or maybe more. I believe we're going for uh, the form factor of the, um, what I, is like the indie, the small press huh. type, like your um, a printed copy of um, uh dungeon world or one of the PBTA style or size games. So we're going for that type of form factor. I mean, it, I like it. I like that form factor. I don't necessarily need the larger, the tone perspective. And uh, I also liked it when I got the um, the Midderland stuff by Glen Seal. Um, and, and the Midderlands had that, that same form factor, which I really thought kind of fun. So we've got John Arcadian helping us hunt down artists and so on right now. So it should be pretty cool. Do
0: you have any artists locked up for it yet? or
1: I believe to, uh not Tom, sorry. I believe – John does, I don't. Uh, John, and I haven't had a chance to get back together at to the chat, so I don't have any names to throw around.
0: No, nope, that's fine. But he's been um,
1: he's been hunting, so
0: yeah. There's a particular feel that you're trying to get.
1: Yeah, I want to do black and white. I don't want to go crazy full color. I want to have a hardcover version. I want a softcover version. I want PDFs, um, and I want to make sure that it has the that thieves' world that street level feel that the the right type of thing. I've explained I've had very good conversations with um with Chris, Phil, and, and John Kidian and and the Encoded crew. And Sean Merwin has helped a lot too with like taking an idea that Chris and I had for this and saying, hey, how do you no, that needs to be made more gamer worthy. I didn't gamify make it more gameable. I had no fucking clue what he was talking about. So we sat down on a on a call with him. He said, Brett, I need it to look like X. This is great. This is really cool. How can I make that an adventure? How do I take this really interesting thing you had and make it usable at my table? I am not you. Help me be you. Hmm. Okay. So, as I said, I, I <laughs> I'm positive. I, I I'm doing the best I can, and I think I think it'll I think it'll work. I think it'll turn out quite nice. So I'm 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 proud of it, and also nervous because I've never done anything like this before. So.
0: So what, be what, interesting. what do you think has been the biggest wake up call for you in this process?
1: Time. It is insane to me how long it takes to go from, Hey, I have an idea. Let's work this thing out. Let's put the stuff together. Let's do this. And I'm like, okay, so my writing's done. Well, we got to get it ready for the editing. They've got problem They've got not problems. They have other projects they're working on. So, okay, my turn comes crank that out. Okay, I'm done. It takes more time. Hey, do we have the art yet? We're working on this. We're working on that. It's a style of project management I've never done before. <clears throat> I used to joke. I had a PM ages back tell me a good project manager can manage any project. It doesn't matter if they understand the technology or anything about it. I've always thought that was complete horseshit because my example is I've never built a bridge before. For I've never built the Golden Gate Bridge. If you want a data center, I can do that. You don't want me to build your Golden Gate Bridge because I'll fuck that up. And this is also why um, Phil and Chris have done this before. For encoded and talking to other people, I wanted to work with people who knew how to run this type of thing because I've never done it before. And there's bits and the the steps, the process to get it done. Um makes me really appreciate guys like um Talanian from Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's hyperborea and money Cook Games, how they put together complicated, especially Money Cook, complicated Kickstarters. Ours is not going to be that complicated. I'm not looking for tons and tons of money. It's, you know, thousands, not tens of thousands. And um, because the writing's done and, and we need art and and whatnot, but you look at these other things how they just nail it, bam, 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 bam. This repeatable process, and um, you know the guys have worked with uh, Eloy LaSanta and how he cranks out product and so forth, and it's, I guess, not a wake up call. It's kind of like an underscore. Yep, that's harder than I, th- I figured it was harder than I thought it was. Yep, it's fucking harder than I thought it was. And to take an idea and know that the idea. To actually happening a year, that's normal, which is weird to me because normally from an idea to seeing progress in my normal line of day job work, it's like a week. <laughs> you start the idea, you get approval and then you better start fucking executing. And the way things execute and how this functions and flows is just different. And I'm positive at some point I'm going to, the book will be done this will work. It'll be really cool. I'll be done with it. And somebody will say, Hey, I really wish you would have had this. Like, oh, I have an entire chapter of that. Oh, I already have that. Oh my God. I sh- why didn't I include that? And I can't get it all at once, you know? And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm ready. for, I'm ready for that. If it, if it works out, I'm ready to, uh, to do more, you know, to, to make more stuff. So I think it'll be fun.
0: So the Kickstarter's coming uh, December. Is the December of this year, yes. Release date for the product has that been c-
1: so contemplated? If we run the Kickstarter, we want it done. Do, 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 do. So it would wrap up. I think what think is like thirty days, whatever you usually do for Kickstarter. And then, so that's done. January. We're working out. I'm waiting for Chris and Phil are at Metatopia. When they're back, we're gonna crank through some more timelines to get the all the dates put out. But the writing's done. It went through Bob's first editorial hands. It's in. I think it's in really good shape. People are pretty happy with it. Merwin was pleased, which is good because he's a he's a tough guy to make happy. So that was cool. So, so far so good. We'll see how it goes. Well, excellent. I just I just I just hope it doesn't suck.
0: <laughs> see, look at this. Look at this. How many people have we ever interviewed about their own product, their own publishing, and they don't at the end of the interview go? I hope it I doesn't. I just hope suck. it doesn't suck.
1: I've when you've never I've never done it before, and I just I think the the other thing that was interesting to me when you talk about a wake up call is that when you take something and you say Hey, I want to do this. I'm not going to make a million dollars on this. At least that, wow, that'd be weird. I'm not going to be Matt Colville. That's not going to happen right now, and that's fine. You know, that's not my goal. I want to do this thing because I love it. I really want to add something to the hobby, and I think it'd be fun. And it is much more nerve wracking on a personal level than I thought it would be. I'm normally a fairly confident guy. I, I can I feel shy or nervous inside. I've learned different ways to cope with that and and so on. But this one is uh very nerve-wracking for me. Where every thing in the back of your head that that tells you people have called it imposter syndrome. I don't I don't even know what the the full description of that is, but when that voice in your head that tells you that, oh, maybe not. Oh, maybe uh, maybe you should wait. Oh, maybe you don't." You know, that that is just fucking loud as hell. In my head, some days, and that is something I was not prepared for. I didn't think that'd be that big a problem, but for me personally, that's that's just a odd little thing, which All makes right. me say stuff that's self deprecating. Well, yeah, it's I horrible guess. on an interview, but it's right. it. that, <laughs> just me.
0: So this is a warm up, right? Because you got to make this the speaking podcast tour ah, talk crab. about talk about your product and everything.
1: It'll be a buy my shit. <laughs> I'll 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 get to the last one. Like, buy it for fuck's sake. Just buy it. What the hell's wrong with you people?
0: So if you have questions about Avalon Mm -hmm. and you want Brett to, to address some of those and maybe elaborate,
1: I'm a a writer now. I don't have time for you people. No, I'm kidding. (laughs)
0: I'll have to edit that out. Uh, Write in and let us know what your thoughts are. Or uh, questions are. And Brett,
1: you'd be willing to answer those. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) I don't there's nothing that's super top secret I just would want to make sure that I don't say something oh yeah well absolutely include that and have Chris go Brett you dumb shit we talked about this we can't do that Um, you know you you, is there will there be a goss you know a golden embossed lettered copy you know printed in blood no I can't can't do that I asked can't do that Um,
0: (laughs) well Everything is subject to to potential. Like you could easily put in teasers. You may see that. You may not. It depends, right? Yep.
1: Just, exactly. Yeah.
0: You got to learn how to work the press, Brett.
1: I just i'll i'll take a i'll take a Sean kill. It depends. I'll just do that a lot. It depends. So? It depends on which money shows up. It depends, depends on you know what happens.
0: A lot of things in life depends on other things.
1: I did tell um Phil that Sean promised to um. Go in at the highest level possible, oh, shit. and buy it. So, we're working on a thousand dollar <laughs> level just for kicks because oh, <laughs> we got to see if he's going to put his money where his mouth
0: is. My goodness, I man, a lot of people take you seriously when you get on a microphone and throw your, <laughs> your voice out there. I guess I don't know. Oh boy,
1: well, where so I'm going to so, so ask you, is yeah. that interesting to you? What I, I just yeah, what I just laid out for you, do you give a does that. You're like, oh, yeah, I'd do that. Or are, you, or are you just saying that because you're nice to me and you're my friend? Seriously, Brass,
0: I, Brad, let's get one thing straight right now. I not, don't I'm ever, not your friend? Is that what you're I, telling me? I, <laughs> oh,
1: my God, you're not my friend. All right. So
0: the game book, <laughs> it does interest me. Of course it does. I am interested because I think it's got a bunch of different facets that I think that make it unique. And I'm interested to find out what that looks like. I don't do a lot of urban adventures. I don't think there's a lot of urban settings that are out there. You know, I think that um, is if it's a 50 mile by 50 mile type of city, there's a lot of exploration that can occur. And I'd be interested to find out how your vision uh, takes shape as it relates to that. And some of the influences you've had, like yep. I, I picture thief. I don't know if you've seen the advertisement for the new Robin hood Movie,
1: yes, that looks, that looks like really stupid fun. That just looks like fun.
0: Well, it looks very thief kind of um influenced, right? Yes, Th- yes, it does. So, when you Thief was a video game for some of us that may not be familiar with it, um, where it was very sound and audio based, if I'm not mistaken, it used a lot of audio.
1: Yeah, if you were, the video game. in the original one, if you were creeping, hiding in the shadows because you were a thief, you're breaking in a house to steal something, you would hear the guards walk by. If you made noise, they'd say, what was that? You'd hear the footsteps get closer. If you stayed still and that you were hidden well, they'd be like, ah, oh, it must be nothing. Then they'd walk away. If you paid attention, it worked. In the newer version of, I think my, my oldest son, <clears throat> Connor, has played it, and you can actually, I think it's xbox at this point, but he's explaining to me, you can win the game without killing anybody. You can totally thief your way through the entire freaking thing just by sneaking and doing and picking locks and all this stuff. Um, and it was very, very stealth oriented and sound and so forth. I used to play that on my PC, like with the lights off and candles on, because it was just from a mood perspective. You <clears throat> know, in a room, turn the lights down, light a couple of candles and turn the sound way up just to hear all the different ambient noises, because it was important. And if you made a lot of noise, the bad the, the guards came running. <laughs> they would come kick your ass.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's a, it's I mean, old classic game. A lot of people loved it. So, and then of course I'm familiar with Thieves World and Robert Haspern and. Lena I mean, Maddie it's gonna.
1: Those. I mean, you you look at, um, Goodman Games, the DCC crew. They're putting out the Longmar stuff, and I'm, I love DCC and I like the stuff they produce. So I'm in on that Kickstarter, and this is going to be different than that. Obviously, one, <clears throat> the 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 rule set that I bounce off of the most is your Five E, but it's also. I take influences from The Lancmaria, Maria but I'm not emulating it in the same way that the Goodman Games crew is doing and, and uh, by all accounts from what I've seen they're doing an amazing job. So it's there's a number of different um city type campaigns out there Tolus and so forth all this other stuff that's out there even when we talked with uh, Serrano and uh, and Wayne around uh, Eberron. but this Char- is yeah, Char- Char- <laughs> yeah this is this is my take in the type of gaming I like to do. So anyway We'll see how it goes.
0: 20 years in the making. About. (laughs) Give or take. Give or take. Well, Brett, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks so much for sharing your vision about Avalon. We're excited to see what comes out in the Kickstarter in December. People, mark your calendars. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge.
1: (laughs) People wonder why I don't take myself that seriously. It's going to be
0: huge. It's going to be huge. Lots of stretch goals, probably like 900 of them.
1: Just for Sean, there'll be a couple of just just Sean ones.
0: Yeah, I, one of the stretch goes is Sean will write an adventure. I haven't <laughs> you been. You start approached. here, you go
1: there, you go there, and you're done. <laughs>
0: it takes place. On, do you have trains in your world, Brett? <laughs> um,
1: I might have to develop develop one just for just for the purpose of it.
0: It's my Avalon. I can have trains in there if do, I want.
1: Do what you got to do, honey.
0: All right. Okay. Well, thanks, Brett, for sharing. Thanks for being on.
1: Thanks for thanks for uh, not making not making me feel too bad. Come on, off we go. All
0: right, die roll.
1: I'm tapped. I'm Brad, out. You
0: you should put some links in the uh, die roll that may have uh, been influencers of your.
1: I can do that. Setting. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll do that. I'll throw a couple out there. If not yeah. this one, I'll get next. But I I will I will say that Matt Bonhoff and Matt Martinez both hit us up. So when we get the listeners, I'll cover those cause I caught those. So over to you, sir. You yeah.
0: First. So one of the ones that I have out there, D and D campaign setting book coming 2019, that was on comic I get a lot of links from comicbook.com cause it shows up in my news thing on my phone. Um, they didn't mention what it is. Um, but it'll be a campaign setting book in 2019, which has not occurred since the sword coast. Um, and the Eberron wayfinder, um, but nothing nothing too big.
1: Saw a rumor the uh, cir- saw the rumor circulating around. I saw a couple that said, Oh, it's obviously Greyhawk. And then I also heard a couple, Oh, it's clearly Planescape. They've been talking Planescape forever. I haven't paid that close of attention, but yeah. we'll see what happens.
0: I mean Ravnica is you know That's the, out there. Magic the Gathering one is is out. So um so, I mean number two, expose on Wizards of the Coast CEO on Geekwire, which I thought it was an interesting read a little bit about the CEO of Wizards of the Coast and uh, they he has stated fourth year in excess of 30% growth on D&D.
1: That's pretty good.
0: So you know the, the hobby is alive and well and prosperous because despite your gaming preference, the success of the hobby does have a direct correlation to D and D's success, and I know people that have done Powered by the Apocalypse. I know people that have done other games, and they have they have stated that they said, "Hey, the success of D my game is on the you know depends on the success of D and D because they're they're the big marketers and the three hundred pound gorilla." So. You know, if it's going well, then you can imagine that other games are going to be going well, and other people will try it's, different it's, it's games. It's a it's
1: a marker, right? How high is the water? Right, right. Are we going here? This is cool. That means other stuff will start rolling. And um, even if you're not a D and D fan, which is totally legit, I know plenty right. of men and women who can't fucking stand the game. But in the uh, in the industry itself, it's it's a giant. So get to watch it. it-
0: And frankly, the folks that may not like D&D is fine and dandy because they'll want to play a different game. So the fact that they even know what D&D is gets them to other games. Correct. Right. So number three, new D&D movie. Expected to begin filming in the summer of 2019. I don't know how legit this is. This is on Pursue News, which I know is like right below Newsweek.
1: I am still... Matt Colville, I think, put this really well in one of his videos. He's like, you know, a Dungeons & Dragons movie in itself is stupid. Make a Dragonlance movie. Make a Forgotten Realms movie. Make an Eberron movie. Right. Make one in this setting. Don't make a Dungeons & Dragons genericized thing because it's going to fucking blow. But that's just me.
0: There you go. Brett, not, not short of an opinion. <laughs> not,
1: not on that one.
0: My last one, Photoshop your own monster contest. So if you hear this. When this drops, um, the contest ends November 16th, 2018. Wizards of the Coast is holding this in conjunction with Adobe Photoshop. Yeah. You're not a small company. Um, create your own character, submit it. Um, the articles on io09 and i will have links to different uh, avenues of how to submit that and what what is all at stake. I don't remember what the winners are. I don't know if that gets all unpublished. If you get any money for it, I don't recall, but check it out. So those are the ones I have this week.
1: Yeah. And I grabbed uh, Matt map has, this is definitely worthy. the uh, new Mexicon 2019 as of today, November 4th, he's got 14 days left. This is for uh, the sixth annual new Mexicon indie role playing convention. So this is pretty cool. Link in the show notes to this, look up n- uh, new space, Mexican, Mexicon, M E X I C O N. And uh, you can find this. Matt Bonhoeff is the creator. So they had a um, they had a fifteen hundred dollar goal, and they're already at um, thirty eight hundred plus. So that's looking pretty darn good. And they've, like I said, they got fourteen days left to go. And uh, game conventions are awesome. And um, I think it's cool if you get a chance to support these guys, even if you can't go. If you want to throw them a buck or two, it's always super helpful. So hopefully, Matt, everything goes off well, and you guys have yourself a kick ass con. Uh, Matt Martinez called this one out. The um, Destination Danger by Guardian Moon Games. It's a um, (laughs) a look at it. It has this very pulp feel to it. It looks kind of cool. It's just one of those pieces. It's another Kickstarter. This one's got uh, 24 days to go as of today. Um, Haven't met their goal yet, but anyway, take a look. I thought it was definitely Worth calling out. So it looks kind of like an Indiana Jones mummy type of funness. So take a look. Link in the show notes.
0: All right. So I think that wraps it up. I think we're good, for this man. This week. Yeah. We hope to see many of you at Game Con. For those that can't make it, uh, you know, thank you for listening regardless. We'll keep connected through the show. Um, yeah. I guess the next episode. Will be the last night of game hole.
1: Yeah. It's hard not to do a, it's hard not to do a post game hole wrap, but that's probably what we'll stumble into.
0: Hey, we should try to put a little spit on it, I think. I think things. so.
1: Yeah, we could do that. Alright.
0: Cool. Well, hopefully your week will go fantastically well. Wish you all the best, everybody out there. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.
0: This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers: Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Aguirre, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Sean Nicholson, Tin Jensen, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Brandon Barnes, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Merkel Merkrofroylik, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper. Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, Closet Gamer, John Steve, Mark Richman, Thomas Hook, Chad Gleyman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skange, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Tim Shorts, Angus, for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedel, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bonds, Palladian, Ron Blessing, Brian Kurtz, Knights of the Night Crew, Laramie Wall, Evan Harrison Cass, Malcolm Cool, Blake Ryan, Jared Rasher, Todd McGowan, Kevin Lovecraft, Perry Besore, Ray Otis, and Goblins Henchmen. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.